Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together, Lord, and just worship you in spirit and in truth, Father. I thank you, Father, that you are on the throne, that you are sovereign in all things, God. I thank you for freedom, and I thank you, Father, for redemption. In Jesus' name.
Oh, Father, thank you, Lord Jesus, for that truth, Father. Do you know our names, God? You've called each one of us, Lord, out of darkness into your marvelous light. Pray, God, that we would remember this truth, Father. Pray, Father, that we would draw close to you, knowing that as we draw close to you, Father, your word says that you will draw close to us. Oh, God, as we fix our eyes upon you this day, Lord, may our hope be renewed in Christ. May we be strengthened. out our faith boldly. That we too would cry out, not our will be done, but yours. Your kingdom, your glory, and by your power, may we continue to advance forward in victory for what you've accomplished for us, Lord. Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers chapter 2 and 3 are what we're going to read today, but before that, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, but it's living by God's power. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, but it's living by God's power. And our year is almost up, and this has been our scripture for the year. And I really do pray it has impacted our lives. It's a short scripture, but there's so much in it. We're not called to be called a religious people. No, we are called to be called God's people. A people set apart to do His will. A people who have been born again of the Spirit and no longer living out of their old nature. But they're being transformed by the renewing of their mind. We're walking with the assurance of who our God is. That He is for us and not against us. That He is alive. That He is victorious. That He is on the throne. That we have yielded our lives to Him. That we say no longer our will be done, but His will be done. That we seek first His kingdom in all things. Not just in desperate times. But it's a lifestyle. It is just who we are. Advancing his kingdom forward in a darkened world. Listen. The popular thing to do now is to water down the gospel. To make it easy for people. Everyone's coming into the kingdom of God. But that is not what we're called to do. Because that's not how Jesus did it. That's not how God, even from the beginning, allowed it to be. Listen, the enemy is not watering down his message. (laughs) He's intent. He has a purpose. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. The gospel offends you all. 
does. If, it's, if it didn't offend, it wouldn't be the gospel. We recognize that we were born into sin, into a nature that is in complete rebellion towards God. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But God knew our condition and the Bible says that he first loved us. He loved us yet though we were in complete rebellion towards him. Listen, he formed us, he created us. He's purposed us to do good works for Him. And so we, take, we don't take Him for granted. No, we see Him for who He is. And it's our choice to either remain in rebellion or to choose to surrender. That of our old nature that is really of no good. God has revealed himself to us. He is pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus. There's no greater love. And as we come to Christ, as we humble ourselves, as we receive this free gift of salvation, because as we've been talking about, and as you're reading the word, you recognize there's nothing in and of yourself, no matter how religious you you think you are, could ever make you right with God. It is only through Jesus and Jesus alone. It is through obedience. It is by faith. It is the hope that we have. It is the security that we have to know that we are in Christ, for that is our position if if you're a believer. You are in Christ, secured, at peace with God. Remember, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life and abundance so we can live out of this abundance. No matter what we're facing, because we recognize that this world is growing darker. But the church is to be growing brighter. We have a message to declare. Are we declaring it? And we've been talking about the church in the West. Where things are, 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 are subtly just fading People are just continuing just to be complacent. Church is becoming a show. People are seeking for themselves instead of truly seeking for God. And that's not how it is to be. We're to be a different people. The people of God. And so from the beginning we seem And we've talked about a lot that God's purpose is that he would have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. That they would live for him. That they would abide in him. That they wouldn't just have lip service to him and say one thing but live another. (laughs) That is not a person who belongs to God. 
If it's just lip service, it is nothing. And in the book of Numbers, I don't remember, I don't know if you remember the introduction to Numbers, but this whole book is going to continue to give us this, this understanding that God is faithful, but man is not. <laughs> These people, thousands of them, <laughs> who God delivered from their captivity, that generation had to die out in the wilderness. Because all they provided was lip service. But there was no heart gratitude. There wasn't a heart of gratitude for the things that God has provided them, has given them, to even be called the people of God. And we read when we when I couple weeks ago when I walked you through the introduction, only two people, Joshua and Caleb from that generation, entered in with the new generation into the promised land. Obedience to obey is so important in your Christian life to know your God. To trust Him. To live for Him. Again, it's not about just doing a lot of talk. But it's living by His power. The good news is that in and of ourselves, we can't do this. So I don't know why we try. I mean, I know why we try. Because we're deceived. But when you truly grasp the assurance of salvation, your whole newness of life is dependent upon Christ and what he has accomplished. He is victorious. He has defeated sin and death and no longer rules and reigns. So we can walk with our heads up. We can walk with the assurance of who God is. Let us not be the people portrayed in the book of Numbers that had to die out in the wilderness. Thousands of them. Because of their disobedience. They did not inherit the promise in which God has spoken. Remember, God is faithful. It's not God that keeps his promises from us. No, God desires to lavish his promises upon us. God desires for his people to live empowered by his spirit to be a light to the world. When we see and when we read, and I've been posting about all the different things that are going on all around the world that's happening to our brothers and sisters, how they're being arrested, how they're being beaten, how they're being tortured, how the churches are being closed, how the governments are coming in and just trying to just disband the church. It can never happen. The governments can try all they want. But the kingdom of God is established and it will continue to advance. In the natural mind, that doesn't make sense. But we better wake up to the reality, especially here in the West, that we've got to stop playing church. We, we just can't be people who do lip service. 
Have you truly laid your life down? Can you testify of God, of His goodness, of His grace, of His mercy? See, Christians, we don't stay in active sin. We, we don't keep living a lifestyle of active sin. It doesn't mean that we won't sin, but it's not an active occurrence in our lives. It's not a day-to-day thing that will continue to remain in rebellion. But when we do sin, it's not, it's not a lifestyle of sinning. No, we feel the conviction. We should feel the conviction. We, we should see it and go, oh God, forgive me. And he heals us. He restores us to not continue to be an active participant into that which is destructive. Transformation is to come forth from our lives. Not by our might, nor by our power, but only by His Spirit. Born again, you all. So we're going to read through through chapters 2 and 3 today of Numbers. And, And remember, these people are being counted off. And God is structuring them in their tribes. He's giving them assignments. He's telling them how to move forward. But again, as we're reading through the book of Numbers, let us remember God's faithfulness. God is faithful. No man, no woman can stop or hinder what God has purposed. God, at the end of time, when he returns, he will have a people that he will call his own and they will call him their God. Numbers chapter 2. I'm going to try my best not to butcher these names. So let's move through it. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses and Aaron. When the Israelites set up camp, each tribe will be assigned its own area. The tribal divisions will camp beneath their family banners on all four sides of the tabernacle, but at some distance from it. The tabernacle's in the middle, and he's going to have these four, the, 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 them divided out into four groups. <laughs> but I love this picture because look what is in the middle. The tabernacle the place of worship, the place that God dwells. He's in the center, and as it should be with our lives. He's not to be on the outside. He's not to be where we want him to be placed in our lives. No, he is to be the center of our lives. So I love this picture. that This is where he is placed. It says, The the divisions of Judah, Issachar, and Zubalim are to camp toward the sunrise on the east side of the tabernacle beneath their family banners. These are the names of the tribes, their leaders, and the numbers of their registered troops. Judah was the tribe. The leader is Nashon, son of Amimadab. The number was 74,600. 
tribe Ishakar. The leader was Nathaniel, son of Zeru, 54,400. Tribe Zubalim. The leader Eli, son of Helam, 57,400. So the total of all the troops on Judah's side of the camp is 186,400. These three tribes are to lead the way whenever the Israelites travel to a new campsite. Remember, Numbers is basically giving us the understanding of what took place these 40 years as they traveled to the promised land. So they're going from campsite to campsite to campsite. The divisions of Reuben, Simeon, and Gad are to camp on the south side of the tabernacle beneath their family banners. These are the tribe, the names of the tribes, their leaders, and the numbers of their registered troops. Tribe Reuben, the leader Elizar, son of Shudir, number 46,500. Tribe Simeon, the leader is Shilamiel, son of Jerasadai, 59,300. The tribe Gad, the leader Elisap, son of Gil, 45,650. So the number of the troops on Reuben's side of the camp is 151,450. These three tribes will be second in line whenever the Israelites travel. Then the tabernacle carried by the Levites will set out from the middle of the camp. All the tribes are to travel in the same order that they camp, each in position under the appropriate family banner. And that stopped there second, because the first tribe of Judah is the tribe of worshipers. If you understand New Testament, they were the ones that led the worship. And you see, they're the first ones to go out. Just love that picture. Oh, that we would be a people who worship. That we would be known of our worship for our God, the living God. That people would would see that first in our lives than anything else or anyone else. And that God is the center of our lives. Man. Then the tabernacle carried, I'm sorry, by the Levites will set out from the middle of the camp. All the tribes are to travel in the same order that they camp, each in position under the appropriate family banner. The divisions of Ephraim, Manassas, and Benjamin are to camp on the west side of the tabernacle beneath their family banners. These are the names of the tribes, their leaders, and the numbers of the registered troops. Tribe Ephraim, leader Elishama, son of Amimadud, number 40,500. Manassas um, was the tribe, and their leader was Gamamil, son of Padeshor, 32,200. And then tribe Benjamin, the leader was Abaddon, son of Gideon, 35,400. So the total of all the troops on the Ephraim side of the camp is 108,100. These three tribes will be third in line whenever the Israelites travel. The divisions of Dan, Asher, and Nathali are to camp on the north side of the tabernacle, beneath their family banners. 
These are the names of the tribes, their leaders, and the numbers of their registered troops. Tribe Dan, the leader was Ahishir, Ahishir son of Amadishadai, number 62,700. Tribe Asher, leader Pajil, son of Akron, 41,500. And tribe Nathali, the leader is Ahiror, son of Enon, 53,400. So the total number of all the troops on Dan's side of the camp is 157,600. These three tribes will be last marching under their banners whenever the Israelites travel. In summary, the troops of Israel listed by their families totaled 603,550. But as the Lord had commanded, the Levites were not included in this registration. So the people of Israel did everything as the Lord had commanded Moses. Each clan and family set up camp and marched under their banners exactly as the Lord had instructed them. And we see in this season, they're obeying. God is organizing them. He is structuring them for a reason. Remember, the other nations are looking in on this. There wasn't chaos among the, among, among the camps. They knew exactly how they were positioned and how they were to move. And they followed everything that was commanded of them. And now the Levites, the, the, those that have been selected to be the priests among God's people. We read in chapter 3. This is the family line of Aaron and Moses. As it is recorded, when the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, the names of Aaron's sons were Nadab, the oldest, Abihu, Elisar, and Ithamar. These sons of Aaron were anointed and ordained to minister as priests. But Nadab and Abihu died in the Lord's presence in the wilderness of Sinai when they burned before the Lord the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. Since they had no sons, this left only Eleazar and Ethamar to serve as priests with their father Aaron. Then the Lord said to Moses, Call for the tribe of Levi and present them to Aaron, the priest, to serve as his assistants. They will serve Aaron and the whole community performing their sacred duties in and around the tabernacle. They will also maintain all the furnishings of the sacred tent, serving in the tabernacle on behalf of all the Israelites. Assign the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They have been given from among all the people of Israel to serve as their assistants. Appoint Aaron and his sons to carry out the duties of the priesthood, but any unauthorized person who goes too near the sanctuary must be put to death. And the Lord said to Moses, Look, I have chosen the Israelites from among the Israelites, I'm sorry, I have chosen the Levites from among the Israelites to serve as substitutes for all the firstborn sons of the people of Israel. The Levites belong to me. For all the firstborn males are mine. On the day I struck down all the firstborn sons of the Egyptians, I set apart for myself all the firstborn in Israel, both of people and of animals. They are mine. 
I am the Lord. The Lord spoke again to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. He said, record the names of the members of the tribe of Levi by their families and clans. List every male who is one month old or older. So Moses listed them just as the Lord had commanded him. And can, can you hear the continued, continual theme? He did and they did as the Lord commanded them. Levi, verse 17, had three sons whose names were Gershon, Kohath, and Mirai. The clans descended from Gershon were named after two of his descendants, Lebni and Shimei. The clans descended from Korath were named after four of his descendants, Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel. The clans descended from Mirai were named after two of his descendants, Mahali and Mushi. These were the Levite clans listed according to their family groups. The descendants of Gershon were composed of the clans descended from Libni and Shemiah. There were 7,500 males one month old or older among the Gershonite clans. They were, assigned, I'm sorry, they were assigned the area to the west of the tabernacle for their camp. The leader of the Gershonite clans was Elasphath, son of Leo. These two clans were responsible to care for the tabernacle, including the sacred tent with its layers of covering the curtain at its entrance. The curtains of the courtyard that surrounded the tabernacle and the altar. The curtain and the courtyard entrance, the ropes and all the equipment related to their use. The descendants of Korah were composed of the clans descended from Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uzal. There were 8,600 males, one month old or older among the Korhite clans. They were responsible for the care of the sanctuary, and they were assigned the area south of the tabernacle for their camp. The leader of the Korhite clans was Elassian, son of Uziel. These four clans were responsible for the care of the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, and various articles used in the sanctuary, the inner curtain, and all the equipment related to their use. Elashosh, son of Aaron, the priest, was the chief administrator over the Levites with the special responsibility for the oversight of the sanctuary. The descendants of Mirai were composed of the clans descended from Mahali and Mushi. There were 6,200 males, one month old or older, among the Mirai clans. They were assigned the area north of the tabernacle for their camp. The leader of the Mariac clans was Ural and son of Abiel. They, These two clans were responsible for the care of the frames supporting the tabernacle, the crossbars, the pillars, the bases, and all the equipment related to their use. They were also responsible for the posts of the courtyard and all the bases, pegs, and ropes. The area in front of the tabernacle and the east toward the sunrise was reserved for the tents of Moses and Aaron and his sons who had the final responsibility for the sanctuary on behalf of the people of Israel. Anyone other than a priest or a Levite who went too near the sanctuary was put to death. Then Moses and Aaron counted the Levite clans at the Lord's command and the total was 22,000 males one month or older. Redeeming the firstborn sons. 
the next section that we're closing out this day in the book of Numbers, chapter 3, verse 40. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now count all the firstborn sons in Israel who are one month old or older and make a list of their names. The Levites must be reserved for me as substitutes for the firstborn sons of Israel. I am the Lord. And the Levites' livestock must be reserved for me as substitutes for the firstborn livestock of the whole nation of Israel. So Moses counted the firstborn sons of the people of Israel, just as the Lord had commanded. The number of firstborn sons who were one month old or older was 22,273. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the Levites as substitutes for the firstborn sons of the people of Israel, and take the livestock of the Levites as substitutes for the firstborn livestock of the people of Israel. The Levites belong to me. I am the Lord. There were 273 more firstborn sons of Israel than there are of Levites. To redeem these extra firstborn sons, collect, Five pieces of silver for each of them, each piece weighing the same as the sanctuary shekel, which equals 20 giras. Give the silver to Aaron and his sons as the redemption price for the extra firstborn sons. So Moses collected the silver for redeeming the firstborn sons of Israel who exceeded the number of Levites. He collected 1,365 pieces of silver on behalf of these firstborn sons of Israel, each piece weighing the same as the sanctuary shekel. And Moses gave the silver for the redemption to Aaron and his sons, just as the Lord had commanded. That's a lot to read. And a lot of people don't like to read through the book of Numbers, but it is a very, it's a very important book to read. You really see how God is structuring, how God is organizing, and ultimately the theme through this book is you're going to see God's faithfulness, even when his people were not faithful to him. But hopefully as you heard the word read this morning, hopefully you keep hearing that same phrase over and over, they did as the Lord commanded. And that should be said of us. Can people say that about us as his church today? In our individual lives and then in our corporate lives, can people look and see that you are living and doing as the Lord has commanded? They ought to be. They ought to be able to say that about your life. Rather they believe in God or not. They should know whom your God is. These other nations on the outside, they did not believe in the living God. They looked on to Israel, and as we read and as we understand, they weren't afraid of the Israelites. They were afraid of their God. And some of these foreign pagan kings would even at times declare that he is God, but they wouldn't serve him. So everyone was looking in. That's how it should be in our lives. People should be looking in. They should see a difference. You're different among us. Israel didn't live like the other nations. 
in the beginning as God was forming them. As we read, they did as God commanded. And he warns them and he tells them. And what we're going to see what they end up doing is giving in to the other nations. Giving in to their idol worship. Giving in to their sexual practices. Giving in to, 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 to the ways of the world. And all along, God is trying to call them to himself. And it's no different than today. God is calling a people to himself. Not to keep going back to the world, back to the practices of of what the world has to offer. No, but abiding in him. And this life can be lived because Jesus, the Messiah, has already came. That is the good news that we have now in the new covenant. Jesus came. He's defeated sin and death. We are a new breed of people. We are a born-again people of the Spirit of God. We're, We're living empowered by the Spirit of God. And so we don't take that lightly. That's why even in the New Testament, people say, well, why do we have to read the Old Testament? Because they serve as an example for us. And a lot of people say, well, you know, oh, you know, the, the Old Covenant was, had more harsher terms. No, no, no. If you truly understand God's word, you were better off in the Old Testament than you are in the New Covenant. Because the Messiah has come. Jesus has come. He, he didn't... He didn't make God's message and, and, and who he is to, to be nothing just to, so mankind can live however they want. No, he fulfilled God's plan. He himself was God. He came to redeem mankind, to draw mankind back to himself, to reconcile those that belong to him to himself. He didn't come to water it down. He didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. So we're not to be so lighthearted about the things of God. We're not to be so casual in our obedience to to Christ. Remember I told you we can't make a mockery of him. And then to be sealed, to to receive the Holy Spirit, to have God himself in us. Like, we're not called to make him him out to be nothing. Like, no, we're to honor him. We're to be doing as the Lord commands. Not because it's burdensome. No, because the burden, his burden and yoke is light. It's easy. Because you're free. You're a freed people. No longer enslaved to the things of this world. And so we're not to yoke ourselves back. No, we're to continue to move forward with God in the center of our lives. And taking each step forward with worship coming out from our life. Trusting him in complete obedience, knowing that he is for us and not against us, that he has made a way. And this is the good news that we have to share with others. 
that there is a way because God has made a way. Go to Mark chapter 11. We're going to read Mark chapter 11, verse 27 through Mark 12, verse 17. This is good news. He's God. He's, he's the living God. He is our hope in a crazy world. <laughs> we should long to know him. Mark chapter 11, verse 27. Again, we're going to see the authority of Jesus challenged by the religious men. <laughs> men who should have known who he was. That this is the Messiah. Again, these men knew of God, but they didn't know God. And yet, these are the men leading God's people. They had a lot of laws <laughs> that were burdening God's people. God is not desirous of having his people burdened. His desire is to have a free people who walks not under condemnation, shame, and guilt, but walks liberated because he took their punishment. He has removed their sin. He has cleaned them and made them whole. But these men come to challenge Jesus yet again. Again they entered Jerusalem. As Jesus was walking through the temple area, the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and elders came up to him. They demanded, By what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right to do them? I tell you by what authority I do these things. If you answer one question, Jesus replied, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven, or was it merely human? Answer me. They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask, why didn't we believe John? But do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid of what the people would do, because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. I'm telling you all, you've got to love Jesus. He didn't mince words. Remember, he was compassionate to the lost, to the needy, to the broken, to the sinners. But to the religious, who themselves are sinners, he dealt with directly. They were working against him, yet though they were claiming to know God. Remember, Jesus himself says, your father is the devil. And they were running the church at that time. God help us. And that's why all through the New Testament, we are warned of false teachers. 
We are warned about the coming days. We are warned about the signs of the times before his appearance. (laughs) That the church is going to be infiltrated with false teachers, with the devil running amok, with the love of many growing cold, with many that are going to turn from the true faith and follow doctrines of demons. Like, it's insane. But where's the hope? Christ is victorious. He's resurrected. That's why the church, the true church, Christians, true Christians, are not living one foot in and one foot out. They're not just doing a lot of talk. No, they're living by the power of God. They're trying their hardest to challenge Jesus. And Jesus is standing up. And look what he does here. I love how Jesus always exposes, exposes the religious. He always exposes the, religious, the religion in us. <laughs> then Jesus began teaching them with stories. A man planted a vineyard. He built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. The owner then sent another servant, but they insulted him and beat him over the head. The next servant he sent was killed. Others he sent were either beaten or killed, until there was only one left, his son, whom he loved dearly. The owner finally sent him, thinking, Surely they will respect my son. But the tenant farmers said to one another, Here comes the heir of this estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him and murdered him and threw his body out the vineyard. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard would do? Jesus asked. I'll tell you. He will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. Don't you ever read this? Don't you ever? Didn't you ever read this in Scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. The religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. He's exposing them right in front of everyone. And they themselves knew, oh, we see what you're saying. We see how you're pointing us out. But we have to remember this is what has happened. All through the history of the Israelites, all through the history of the New Covenant Church, when God sends his people, his true people, out to declare truth, 
it upsets the religious crowd. They are opposed to truth. They don't mind keeping people seated and living however they want as long as the funds are coming in, the platforms are getting bigger, the show is more entertaining. But when the people of God begin to push back and say, wait a minute, this is an error. This is not, there is a standard in which we're called to live by. They're turned on. They're beaten. They're killed. Their livelihood is taken from them. And we see what's going on around the world. See what's happening to the church in the West. She is being assaulted day in and day out by religious people demanding that the church conforms to their ways. We must be ready to endure, you all. We must be ready to endure. This is not to be taken lightly. Maybe a few years ago, it'd be like, oh, well, you know, no, we still have a we still have a footing. But no, no, not in our generation and not in the generation to come. We're not going to have a solid footing as the church in the West. We're going to be looked on as the enemy. We're going to be challenged. We're going to endure what our brothers and sisters are enduring. Look how they're already attacking Christian companies. Look at what they're trying to push and into the churches to accept as the norm. Oh, I pray that we would not accept it as the norm. I pray that we would be a people who would stand up for truth, no matter the cost. Again, we're doing, we should be doing everything that the Lord has commanded us. Him at the center of our lives, living out in full expression of, of our love for Him and His love for us, sharing the good news with others. Not beating people down, but sharing the good news with others in hopes that they would be saved. In hopes that they would be saved. Verse 13, later the leader sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now, tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? And Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, Why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin, and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he, he asked, Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar." And give to God what belongs to God. 
His reply completely amazed them. Wow. Again, Jesus is not falling into traps. He's not watering down his message. He is not trying to to turn and and to redo what God has already purposed. No, he is faithful to do what God has planned. Because remember, he himself is God. And he's holding up truth. And God help us to uphold truth. Go to Psalm 47. Psalm 47. Come, everyone, clap your hands. Shout to God with joyful praise. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is the great King of all the earth. He subdues the nations before us, putting our enemies beneath our feet. He chose the promised land as our inheritance, the proud possession of Jacob's descendants whom he loves. God has ascended with a mighty shout. The Lord has ascended with trumpets blaring. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King over all the earth. Praise Him with a psalm. God reigns above the nations, sitting on His holy throne. The rulers of the world have gathered together with the people of the God of Abraham. For all the kings of the earth belong to God. He is highly honored everywhere. This is our God, you all. Oh, how great he is. Are you reminding yourself daily? Do we truly have the fullness and understanding of who he is and what he has done? I pray to God that we're not clinging to the temporalness of this life, but I pray to God that we are clinging to him. Jesus himself says, you have to abide in me, because apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what's so crazy. You've got churches packed all throughout our nation today. And look at the state of our nation. How is this? How is this that we were once a Christian nation and yet our faith is not being lived out in our nation? Oh, we better open up our eyes to see the times in which we are living. The times in which we are living. And not be frightened by them, not be downtrodden and overwhelmed and anxious and and scared. No, but be bold. Worship God. Honor God. Speak of God. Live for God. If you're a Christian, live for Him. Honor Him in all that you say and do. Trust in Him. Cling to Him. 
And no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, know that He is good. He is just. He is a God of love and He's a God of wrath. And as Christians, we don't have to be afraid of His wrath. Because we have been called up in his love because we've accepted Jesus. Have you accepted him today? Do you have the assurance of salvation because of all that Christ has done? I pray so. I pray so. Because why would you trade his love for his wrath? Because his wrath is coming. And as in our prayer time, Norman reminded us, as Scripture says, his wrath is stored up. It's coming. It's coming. It is going to hit this earth. And there are going to be people who are going to be swept up in it and taken away to an eternal hell. But oh, may we not be swept up in it. May we be true believers, the people of God, that we will be called up, not swept away, but called up, and that we would hear, well done, my good and faithful servants. Enter in to my eternal kingdom, where you will rule and reign with me, our God, face to face. No more tears, no more pain, no more sickness. Oh, that we should look forward to that day, you all. Every day encouraging yourself in this. Be mindful of your thoughts. Guard the door of your mind. Take thoughts captive. Begin to clear out the stuff and the people in your lives that are hindering what God wants to do in your life. And trust wholly in Christ and in Christ alone. (laughs) For He is who we're waiting for. Prepare yourself today. Prepare yourself today. You know, I had a little incident last night. It was a little scary. I, I thought I was having a massive heart attack. And I praise you, and I, I praise God, and I thank you all for coming around and praying for me. But when, I was, when it was happening, when the sensation and everything was taking place, there was no provoke or thought in my mind to freak out. I wasn't anxious. I, I wasn't overwhelmed. I actually was at peace. Though my body was reeking with pain, a, a pain I've never felt in my chest area, in my back before. My blood pressure so high. But in that second, as I was laying, or trying to lay, because I couldn't even lay down on the floor, I remember opening my eyes and looking up and saying, God, I just thank you. That even if this is the time that I will pass, 
that I'm at peace with you. And not of my own, but because of Christ. But because of Christ. And there was such a peace in that moment. Do you have that peace, you all? Today was the last day. The very breath was taken from you. Do you have the assurance that you belong to him? That you belong to him? That you're honoring him and you have honored him with your life. Not that you're perfect, but that your life is marked as one that belongs to a Christian, you all. Not a perfect person, but one whose life has been marked by God, who will sing praises to God, who would continually to seek Him. It's not just a one-time little prayer, like, poof, you're a Christian. It's a lifestyle. It is who you've become. If you truly accepted him as Lord and Savior, if you truly have a a strong belief and a bold confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead, you are saved, you are sealed, you are born again. We can't say we believe and live opposite of whom we're saying we believe in. That's making a mockery of who he is. Oh, let us not be those who are trampling his blood underneath their feet and treating it as common. He is not common. He's God. And like the psalmist here, we should exhort, we should praise him. We should see him high lifted up. He is seated on the throne. And that's why I've encouraged us as we're studying through the book of Psalms, it's a call to look up. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, look up in an instant when when you think all is lost, everything is dark, you're taking your last breath, look up. Because he's coming. He's coming. He's returning. And either we will abide with him for eternity or we will be separated from him. Remember, God is pleased to reveal himself to you through Jesus, you all. God is not stiff-arming mankind. No, God has freely gave himself for them. Go to Proverbs chapter 10. Two nuggets of wisdom for you to take this week. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. 10, verse 24 and 25. The fears of the wicked will be fulfilled. 
I don't know if you've studied this yet or read through this proverb yet. We've had a few weeks to, to sit on it. But can we just stop there for a second? The fears of the wicked, oh, they will be fulfilled. But look at the good news. The hopes of the godly will be granted. Wow. When the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away. But the godly have a lasting foundation. Let God be your center. Let him be the rock in which you are placed on. No matter what you're facing, no matter how things may crumble around you, no matter how poor your health may become, no matter what's going on and chaos around you and your family at work, anywhere else, let God be your center and your foundation. Because it's a foundation that you cannot be moved from. There's a security found in Christ. You put your hope in man. You put your hope in position. You put your hope in material things. You put your hope in this. You put your hope in that. And it will be taken from you. Be assured of this. They will die. It'll be robbed from you. You'll be fired. (laughs) You live in a crazy world. In this world, you will have trouble. There's no way to escape it. So if you're putting your hope in that which is temporal, oh, you will (laughs) have your fears be fulfilled. They will come to pass. But those in Christ, those who are rooted and grounded in Christ in truth, it's the truth that sets you free. It's the truth of who he is and and what he has done for us that secures us that no matter what. That's why I love that one song, He Knows our name. No fire can burn me. <laughs> Come on. No battle can turn me. <laughs> Come on. No mountain can stop me. For he knows my name. I am walking in his victory because his power is within me. No giant can defeat me. He knows my name. Oh, are you living out your faith? Are you living out your faith daily, not just in church, but daily? Are you standing up and declaring? Because too much is out there. And it's going to continue to rise up. Deception is running amok. There's so much stuff out there fighting for your attention. And if we think as Christians that we could just show up on a Sunday, show up on a Wednesday, show up whatever day, 
And this is all we're getting is just this little bit of time, and that's going to carry us through. Oh, we are, we're deceived. And that doesn't even please God. God is not moved by your church attendance. No. What pleases God is faith. A life walking by faith. I haven't seen him, but I'm trusting in him. It doesn't make all sense to me, but I'm going to keep feeding off of it. I'm going to put into practice what I know to be true, not by my might, nor by my power, but my full dependence upon the Spirit of God within me. You are my comforter, you are my guide, you are my teacher. Holy Spirit, lead me today. God, if there's anything in my life, anyone in my life that is a hindrance, that has captivated me, then God, do what is needed to remove them or to remove it. So that my eyes can clearly see what is before me and who is before me. That my eyes would behold Christ. Or we can just keep going like everyone else. Like everyone else being led astray to the slaughter. It's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy you all. It is Christ who has come, who, has, who came to give us life and life and abundance. So the fears of the wicked, oh, they will be fulfilled. The hopes of the godly will be granted. When the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, caught up in the chaos and fear and insecurities, just whirled away, just like a tornado. But the godly have a lasting foundation. Whatever may come, Lord, have your way. May you be glorified in the midst of it. May our mouths praise him for who he is, for he is God and God alone. Amen? I'm going to close us with this song, and then I'll close us in prayer.
you should.